On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we'll be joined by the man who's racking up numbers, but not yet exactly a household name, Vikings defensive end, Daniil Hunter, who's second in the NFL in sacks, trailing only Aaron Donald, and Hunter's on pace for over 20 sacks this season as one of the cornerstones of a tough Vikings defense that goes into Chicago on Sunday night to play the Bears defense. And we'll be joined by Evan Kaplan, who provides us a look back at Week 10 and a preview of some of the great action in Week 11, including the great Monday night matchup between the Rams and the Chiefs in Mexico City. But already Week 11 is turning into a crazy week. As we record this Monday afternoon, about 24 hours prior to the deadline that Le'Veon Bell has to show up in Pittsburgh by 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, November 13th, there are still no indications that Bell will report to the Steelers in time, and if and when that doesn't happen, he would be ineligible to play for the upcoming season, which means this, basically. It's up to James Conner to carry the Steelers through the remainder of the regular season and into the postseason, and to try to do something that Le'Veon Bell has never been able to do, get the Steelers to a Super Bowl. Now, Bell himself will become a free agent this year, even if and when he doesn't show up by 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, that deadline. Now, once he is a free agent, the Steelers have two options, only one of which is viable. The first option is a franchise tag, but that would cost quarterback money in the mid-$20 million a year range to keep The Steelers are not using their franchise tag on Le'Veon Bell, so that goes out the window. However, the Steelers still could use the transition tag on Le'Veon Bell, and the transition tag would give Pittsburgh the right to match any offer sheet that Le'Veon Bell signs with another team. Now, people may say, well, listen, James Conner has emerged. Pittsburgh's not going to pay both backs, and that, in fact, is probably true. But what Pittsburgh could do is match that offer sheet and then trade Le'Veon Bell and that offer sheet to another team for perhaps more compensation than it could get by allowing him to leave in free agency without putting the franchise tag on him and getting back a compensatory draft pick. So it's a little convoluted, it's a little complex, but the bottom line is this. Bell looks like he's played his last down as a Pittsburgh Steeler. The terms of his departure still have to be figured out. The Steelers can either not tag him at all and let him walk, and get back a compensatory draft pick, or they could put the transition tag on him, match the offer sheet, and then try to trade him if that's what the Steelers decide. The fact of the matter is, nobody thought the Bell saga would drag on this long, to this extent, and play out the way he did. That's the reason that so many people took him in the first round of their fantasy drafts. Matthew Berry had him ranked as the top player on his draft board last year, and I remember having that conversation in the summer. You got Bell as your number one player? And he said, yeah, why? And I said, he's an unbelievable player. But there's so much uncertainty surrounding him that it'll be tough for me to have him as the number one player on my fantasy board. And again, I don't think anybody thought that this would drag on until mid-November, but it has. And now it's going to drag on into the offseason, which it will. And we all believe that at the time of this taping, that Le'Veon Bell will be a no-show by the 4 p.m. Eastern deadline on Tuesday. Cap hit. And we welcome back our ESPN NFL researcher, Evan Kaplan, as we begin to look back at Week 10 and preview Week 11. And Evan, in Week 10, we saw Drew Brees light it up again. The guy is on fire right now. He lit up the Cincinnati Bengals. What do you think that this means 
for Drew Brees going forward. Well, look, you look at the Saints against the Bengals in Week 10. They scored 51 points. Drew Brees moves ahead of Brett Favre on the all-time touchdown pass list. He's now second all-time behind only Peyton Manning. And you look at the season that Drew Brees is having, and he's putting himself right in contention with for what would be his first-ever NFL MVP award. Obviously, there's other candidates, Patrick Mahomes, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, players having great years, but Drew Brees, 21 touchdown passes, one interception as we enter Week 11, and the Saints just couldn't be. The Bengals could not stop the Saints in any aspect in Week 10. Now, just think about what Drew Brees has done this year. He has been... So on point. I believe his completion percentage is 10% higher than it was in the year that the Saints last won the Super Bowl. Yeah, he, he's about 77% this year. He he leads the NFL, touchdown-interception ratio, completion percentage, total QBR. And what's remarkable, Adam, he's 39 years old. I mean, yeah. we've seen this with Brady at quarterbacks at an advanced age, and now we're seeing with it with Breeze. Incredibly impressive. What he's and now saying. on Sunday night he gets the Philadelphia Eagles, who lost Ronald Darby mm-hmm. on Sunday night yep. to the Dallas Cowboys, a season-ending torn ACL. That is a devastating blow to Ronald Darby himself, who was scheduled to become a free agent after the season, mm-hmm. loses a lot of money there. The Philadelphia Eagles, who are getting ready to play the Saints and now lose their best defensive back from a unit that already was struggling. And now when you lose your best defensive back, oh, Come say hello to Mr. Breeze, who's on pace to win the NFL MVP. Right, and and they have to go to the Superdome, as you said, where the Saints have scored at least 40 points in their last two home games. Interestingly enough, the only te- only one team has scored 40 in three straight home games in the last 15 years. That was the Bengals back in 2013. So they've scored 40 points in three of their four home games this year. Look, they've shown they can win anywhere. They're 5-0 and on the road, so... It feels like the Saints are always one of those teams in the Breeze-Payton era that we talk about that will that offense be able to travel? It has this year. Now, one of the other teams that shined on Sunday was the Tennessee Titans, who basically took it to the New England Patriots and handed the Patriots one of the worst losses in the regular season that they've had in an awful long time. And I think the Titans sent a message to the rest of the league. Marcus Mariota is coming on. Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry are coming on. Corey Davis from the slot Mm -hmm. is coming on. They look like a different team. But lo and behold, this week, the Tennessee Titans get the Indianapolis Colts, who have been resurgent themselves. What does it mean for the Titans and the Colts to square up this week with both teams heading in a positive direction? They really are. And the the Colts have won three in a row. The Titans have won two in a row. And the Titans, you mentioned their offense, Adam. They boast the best defense in the NFL right now in terms of scoring defense. They're first in scoring defense. They're first in red zone defense under Dean Pease. And now they'll face Andrew Luck, who is is frankly playing some of the best football of his career. And some of the best, one on one of the best stretches we've seen for a quarterback in NFL history. He has thrown at least three touchdown passes in six straight games, including in Week 10 against the Jaguars. That's the third longest single-season streak in NFL history behind only Tom Brady in 2007 and Peyton Manning in 2004. And in his career, Andrew Luck has never lost against the Titans. He is a perfect 9-0 and against Tennessee. We'll see what happens this week. Two teams obviously chasing the Titan- Texans excuse me, at the top of the AFC South. So, uh, but two teams on the a division that I think has become a lot more interesting than maybe about a month ago. You've got the Texans; they've won six in a row after starting zero and three, and then these two teams as well. You know what's amazing? The Colts, their offensive line was considered 
average, if that, bad. Mm-hmm. And this year, the Colts offensive line very quickly has emerged as one of the best offensive lines in the league. Now, again, you look at what Chris Ballard has done there. Quentin Nelson, the first-round pick, is a man. Anthony Costanza was already there before. Ryan Kelly was already there before. They had some players in place from Ryan Grigson, their former GM. But Chris Ballard has done a tremendous job basically improving and stabilizing this roster to where Indianapolis now could win that division. Absolutely. Any quarterback needs protection, and Andrew Luck showed what kind of ability he has. Look, he showed it when he didn't have the offensive line earlier in his career. Now that he's got the offensive line, they've won three in a row. As you said, they're they're a team to watch as we head into November and December. Now, we saw one game of the season a couple of weeks ago, the Rams and the Saints, but we're going to get another game of the season Monday night in Mexico City at elevation or at altitude between the Rams and the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, they come from different places, Evan, but what are the similarities? Yeah, it's interesting when you look back at it, Mahomes growing up in Texas and Goff, California, you look at their styles, not overly similar, but you, you trace back, and, and I went back through some things, and, and there's there's really some concrete similarities between the two. Both had, interestingly enough, fathers who played professional baseball. Pat Mahomes was a relief pitcher, Patrick's father, and Jerry Goff, Jared's oh, father, yeah. was a, a backup catcher in the 90s. They both played three, three years in college before declaring for the NFL draft. They were both drafted in the top 10 by teams that traded up to get them, obviously seeing the potential that they had. And neither of them started from day one, which I think may be helping their long-term development. Jared Goff waited in his rookie year and didn't start until week 11. Patrick Mahomes obviously had kind of the, the red shirt year where he was sitting behind Alex Smith and then got uh, started a week 17 game last season. It was a meaningless game, but then became the starting quarterback this year, so you look at their similarities, and now this year, leading two of the three best offenses in the NFL along with the Saints. You know, we're at this point in the season also, and we'll see what teams emerge, but I think there are five clear-cut teams as the best teams in football. You've got the Chiefs and the Rams, who will mm-hmm. play on Monday night. You've got the Saints. You've got the Steelers and the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't know if a team like the Vikings couldn't creep in there, the Panthers couldn't creep in there, the Chargers oh, couldn't creep right. in there, but but those five teams really stand out to me. What stands out about the Rams and Chiefs meeting this late in the season, Evan? Look, one-loss teams meeting this late in the season, it simply doesn't happen very often. This is only the fifth time since the 1970 merger when the NFL went to two distinct conferences, that the AFL and NFL together, that teams with one or fewer losses will meet this late in the season. Uh, that excludes the strike-shortened 1982 season, which is kind of an outlier, but you look at the previous four matchups, the last one was the Broncos and the Chiefs in 2013. They were all between teams in the same conference. So now we've got an AFC team in the Chiefs, an NFC team in the Rams that could really be a potential Super Bowl preview that we've really never seen this late in the season with, with the teams with one loss like this. Yeah. Now, I mentioned one of those other teams being the Minnesota Vikings. They're coming up a bye week. And that's a defense that struggled some early in the year, surprisingly, because you know when Mike Zimmer coaches a defense that it's usually going to be strong, effective, and get straightened out. And that's exactly what's happened with Minnesota right now. Mm -hmm. The Bears have also gotten significantly better than they were in any recent season. Matt Nagy has brought a certain sense of productivity to this team that it didn't have in other years. And now they meet 
Sunday night in Chicago in a great NFC North game. What stands out to you about the Vikings and Bears, Evan? I'll be looking at the pass rush for both teams. Minnesota has 31 sacks this year. The Bears have 30 sacks, and they've got the most pressures in the NFL over the last few weeks, even without Khalil Mack in a few games. And the Bears have been a really, really good home team this season, 4-1 at home. And this, as I was looking through my notes, was was a bit surprising. And Mitchell Trubisky has the most touchdown passes in home games in the NFL this season. Not Patrick Mahomes, not Jared Goff. Trubisky, 15 of his 19 touchdown passes have been thrown at Soldier Field. And here's another thing, interestingly, about the Bears, Adam, that I think that we're going to find out about the Bears in the next few weeks. Bears, have, they're 6-3, and three, been flying under the radar a little bit, not playing teams that are as good, but now Sunday night game against the Vikings. Thanksgiving Day game against the Lions. They will be playing in front of the nation yeah. over the next 10 days, and, and we'll see where they're at after that. And we're going to have Daniil Hunter, the Vikings' excellent defensive end, who's second in the NFL right now in sacks with an 11.5 on this podcast, and he's going to talk to us about the big difference mm-hmm. in the Chicago Bears. But it's interesting because you hear out of Chicago some of the complaints that have come in. They play late Sunday night. Right. They play early Thanksgiving Day, right? and I almost feel as if the way the Bears are playing now, they could play four games in four days. It doesn't matter. People are complaining about the fact that they've got this quick turnaround. Right. When you're playing like they are mm-hmm. and you're winning, you just want to keep playing football games and Absolutely. keep winning, right? Absolutely. Evan, thanks very much for this Week 11 preview. We'll see you again next week. Thanks a lot, Adam. All right, we'll be back in a moment with Vikings defensive end Daniil Hunter. But you know what's not smart? Using your relatives to fill in at work while you look for staff. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from the hiring sites on Trustpilot, with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Daniil. How's it going, man? 11 and a half sacks for you. Second in the NFL behind only Aaron Donald in one shy of your career high in 2016 when you had 12 and a half sacks. How many sacks are we going to finish up with this season? Uh, you know, we're just going to go out there and, and contribute, help the team, rush the passers in any way we can. So I'm pretty sure there's more to come as a defensive unit. But you yourself are on pace for over 20 sacks. Is there any kind of number in your mind, despite the fact, I know we want team accomplishments, but in your own mind, is there a goal that you'd like to get for this season? I mean, obviously, I want to continue to get sacks, but, um, you know, I continue to help the team in any way I can, and if that continues to get sacks, then so be it. Try to rack up as many as I can. Your team is coming off the 10-sack performance against the Detroit Lions, and then you get a bye week. What should we expect of this defense going into Sunday night's big game against the Chicago Bears? Well, we uh, we looked back at everything that we did so far in the season. We uh, looked at the positives, looked at the negatives. We kind of fine-tuned what we needed to do, and then we, um, hopefully on Sunday we go out and execute a plan. But also we had players that were nicked up and all that, so it gave us time to rest them up and then have everybody fresh and ready to go for Sunday night. 
What did the game mean for this defense to get back on track, setting the franchise record that you did with the sacks against Detroit? You know, it meant a lot. You know, it showed that we could go out there and if we play together and uh, execute together, we could have a good game and being able to take over our opponents and win. So it meant a lot towards us. Now, you also got back Everson Griffin, Daniil. How has he helped your defense since he's returned? Oh, he helps us a lot. Uh, he brings that energy at the beginning of the game that you need. Or if, you, if you're ever down or something, I don't know if you're ever going to be down before a game. But if somebody needs to be amped up before a game, they look at Griff, and you know, he'll get you amped up and ready to go. So he's that, he's that type of dude that we, we look forward to at the beginning of the games to get us going. Where did you and he come up with that celebration in Week 9 against the Lions? Um, oh, that was my celebration. <laughs> that was he, yours. He kind of just does it with me. You know, we, we do each other's celebration every now and then. If somebody gets a sack, we'll go next to them. We'll, we'll, we'll do something special. But it was kind of cool that he did it. What did it mean to you? Uh, it meant a lot, you know, just showing that we all cared for each other. You know, we just went out there. We just basically played together, and we started having fun out there. So it was pretty fun. Daniel, before the season, you signed an extension. How much peace of mind do you get when you land a big deal like that before the year? You know, um, getting that extension, you just get it out the way. You know, you can just focus on football now and be like, okay, I don't have to worry about, you know, money and all that other stuff. You know, I'm still going to go out there and do my plays and do what I need to do in order for, to contribute towards the team. So it was, I was really excited to get it before the season started, you know, just to get it out the way. When you sign a five-year, $72 million extension with $40 million guaranteed, how does that change your life? You know, it just shows that um, football is the lead way to my life. You know, I just if I continue to contribute and do what I do, you know, everything will work its way out. So football has been my guidance since I was little, and I've just continued to just contribute to football, and it, it helps me out back and vice versa. So, you know, I just continue to play on the field, and it'll take care of me. When did you have an idea that your type of success and financial stability would be possible? Well, you really can't just look at it like that, you know. You just got to kind of go out there and play and let everything take care of itself. Um, I know I like when I go out there on the field because I like to go and hit people, tackle people. You can't do that in, on the streets or anything like That's that. But right. when you go in between the lines, you could, okay, I can do this now, and stuff that you really can't do in everyday life. So basically just me, it's just me going out there and just having fun and just, you know, you're getting paid to have fun, so... It's something that I'm I'm really excited about. And you're getting paid handsomely to have some fun. But again, when you're going to Morton Ranch High School in Katy, Texas, or you're going to LSU like you did, is there any time at either of those institutions that you have an idea that what you're experiencing today is possible? Um, there's a there was a there was times when I was playing, and I was like, okay, this this is fun, and like if I if I really put my time and effort into this, I could I could possibly make it somewhere, but. Like I said, you got to just keep playing, and it'll just play itself out and just continue to just do you. When I go out there, I, I, I do me. I don't try to, like, think for the future because I don't know what happens in the future, but you just go out there and just continue to do you and have fun. Are there any other defensive linemen, though, Daniil, that you look up to and try to model your game after or anybody that you've picked up anything from that you could add to your game? Yeah, definitely. There's a there's a lot of dudes that I've looked up to since I've been here. You know, the first dudes were obviously Everson and um, B-Rob. You know, they they told me things that helped me out to this day, you know, by using my hands, my eyes. And um, I've also went and watched film on Chandler Jones and all that, um, all sorts of other people out there. So those are the main three guys that I've just been watching 
you know, just like how to rush and like sometimes use their moves or mimic whatever they do sometimes. But those are pretty much the three guys that I've actually been watching. And that would be obviously Everson Griffin, Brian Robeson, and Chandler Jones. Is there any other defensive lineman that you look at today and you say, wow, that guy's skills are off the charts? Oh, definitely. Um, when I was growing up, I used to watch uh, Michael Strahan, my dad. That was his favorite player. So we used to just watch him and see how he did stuff. And, you know, I just remember to this day, like, how he did stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll try that. And sometimes that works out for me and sometimes it doesn't. And I'll be like, okay, I can't use that. But but also, you know, a big role in, in what I, whatever I'm doing today is my, my coach, Andre Patterson. Yeah. You know, he was, he, um, ever since day one, he's been showing me, like, okay, I need to do this and that. And, what I what I need to do with the tools that I have, because not everybody does the same thing, and if you try to do the same thing as a pass rusher, sometimes it's not going to work for people because they have different tools. But he just shows me how to use the tools that I have to to be successful in rushing the passer. Other than using the tools that you have, what's the biggest thing that you've gotten from Coach Patterson? You know, it's just um, pass rush. It's 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 all about like chopping wood. I mean, you're not going to get there all the time, but you might get frustrated. If you're not back there, just you just got to keep going and keep going because he says it's one of the hardest things to do in pro sports. So just don't get frustrated and just keep pounding wood. You pounded wood in week nine against the Lions. You scored a touchdown, your second career touchdown. What does it feel like running towards the end zone for a defensive player when you're about to go in? Oh, it's an exciting feeling, you know. <laughs> um, not many get to experience that as, as a defensive player, but um, you know, running towards the end zone, everybody's young. For you and um, people blocking around you is just like, and then I'm there trying to figure out what kind of celebration I'm going to do. It's just all going through your head at once. You're just like, oh, man, I'm about to score a touchdown. It's just, it's just a really exciting moment for you. Daniel, how do you size up the level of competition in the NFC North as we head down the stretch here? Because here come a lot of the key divisional games that will decide who wins the division starting Sunday night in Chicago. I'm just curious to know your thoughts on how you size up the rest of the division. You know, we got um, four division games left. Um, we really got to just take it week by week, um, opponent by opponent, because we can't overlook anybody. So um, we're focusing on the Chicago Bears. They got a pretty good team, a mobile quarterback. I think they're number one in the division right now. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, once we uh, we go out there and execute our game plan, we'll, we'll be able to put up a fight against them. And then the other teams, Green Bay Packers um, and all that, we, we'll, we'll, we'll look forward to them once that time comes. But it's a really, really tight um, division uh, race right now. You came into the league as a third-round pick, the 88th overall selection in 2015. So you've been with the Vikings 15, 16, 17, 18, four seasons. You've watched the Chicago Bears. There's been a little bit of a transformation there. What is the biggest difference you see in the Bears now as you watch them compared to last year or even the year before? Oh, the biggest difference is the quarterback. That's the biggest difference I've seen. The way he's mobile and makes plays with his foot. This year, whereas last year, I think he was just trying to get himself acclimated to the league or trying to figure out what he can do in order to make the team successful. But this year, he's he's got it figured out that he could just make plays with his legs, and you know that's that's one thing that we have to game plan against. Daniel, what is the feeling like around this team compared to at this point last year when you wound up going to the NFC Championship game? You know, we're all just. Um, getting ourselves together. We got a good team. Most of the guys are back. Now we just got to continue to uh, go out there and practice our techniques and just go towards the game plan and continue to do what we need to do in order to win the game. But whereas last year, you know, we, we were at a higher position than we were. 
But this year, you know, we just got to go out there and just continue to just ignore the noise and just do what we do. You ever feel sorry for these opposing secondaries that the shutdown Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, we got good playmakers on the um, on the other side of the ball. Uh, Stephon Diggs, um, Adam Thielen, and we have Latavius Murray. So they they got three guys that they got to worry about back there um, that they have to shut down. What about Dalvin Cook? And Dalvin Cook also. Daniel, we can't yeah. forget Dalvin Cook now. I can't forget him. <laughs> Hey, Daniel, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Lots of luck Sunday night in Chicago and continued success for the remainder of the season. All right. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thank you, Daniel. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. We should ask Adam. And once again, you have asked Adam. We appreciate all your questions. My fine producer, Josh Macri, has accumulated them, collected them, and we're going to read off your questions right now in the latest edition of Ask Adam. Josh, thank you for doing that. Yeah, some great voicemails, Adam. And obviously, we opened the show by talking about the Le'Veon Bell situation, but another huge story that was in the NFL uh, over the weekend and late last week, of course, Des Bryant. And that leads off our Ask Adam segment. Hey, my name's Eric Gamson, and I was wondering what you thought about Des Bryant. Uh, since he is injured and out for the year and didn't play last year at all, he's been out of the game for almost two years, and I was wondering if you think he's going to get another contract next year, considering that there's not a lot of tape on him. He's starting to get old. Well, Eric, he turned 30 years old last week, and we've seen other cases of other players coming back. Richard Sherman tore his Achilles one year to the day that Des Bryant did. One year to the day. Crazy. And he was ready to play the next year. And Michael Crabtree tore his Achilles in May and was ready to play the following December, seven months later. Now, Crabtree at that time was 26 years old. Des Bryant's now 30 years old. So he's a little older. And I don't know that Des has taken as good a care of himself as Crabtree did back in the day. But I think he comes back next year. And I think he gets a chance to play. But here's the real issue. He's not going to cash in on the contract that he would have had he played for the Saints and had he had free agency, which was one of his goals. He picked New Orleans because he thought it would be a great place to feature his talents, go there, play well, become a free agent in March, and get the type of contract that you want. Keep in mind, he turned down $21 million from the Baltimore Ravens after the Dallas Cowboys released him, signed with the Saints for a prorated portion of $1.25 million, which was actually $600,000 in base salary. That's what he'll collect for tearing his Achilles. And obviously, he'd like to come back, and I think people think he can come back, but not at the contract he hoped to land. Speaking of nagging injuries and big-money players, we get this voicemail from New England. Hey, Adam, this is James from Rhode Island. Just wanted to get your take if uh, you think the Patriots and Rob Gronkowski part ways next year with all this going on between last offseason and then him not performing this season with injuries and with all those um, incentives that he had not living up to those. Just wanted to get your take to see if you think they'd part ways or you think Gronk could be done with football in general. You know, James, I've wondered that myself. I've asked people, and I'm told the answer to that is no, that he's not done, that he's got another year left in his contract. New England came close to dealing him last offseason to Detroit. And Gronk didn't want to go anywhere, and I think there's a loyalty to Tom Brady, and I think that that's a two-way loyalty. I think Tom Brady wants Gronk around as long as he's playing, and I think Tom Brady wants to keep playing next year, and I think Gronk wants to keep playing next year. Now, yes, his production's down. Yes, he hasn't hit those incentives, but in a way, the Patriots, as much as they'd like to see him get huge numbers, they say, okay, he didn't get the incentives. We saved money against the cap. What's the big deal? So the idea of resting him the last couple of weeks was to have him ready for the stretch run, 
I am told that he's made great improvements, that he's really looking pretty good. And so if that's the case, and he does come on and play well the second half of the year, I think he is tracking to come back next year. Now, I'll say this also, that the production has been down. He has not looked the same. He's looked more stiff, more... Looks like he's lumbering. Lumbering. That yeah. would be a good way of saying it, Josh. He looks yeah. like he's lumbering out there. Doesn't look as explosive out there. And so th- there's concern. There's question. He's getting older. He's taking a lot of hits. He's played a very physical brand of football. But I don't think that this is the end of Rob Gronkowski quite yet. And everybody knows that uh, backs stick around, Shefty. I mean, those. Yeah, no, it's real you know, deal there. Even if you're just doing yard work around your house, your back tightens up, makes things tough. Hey, my name is Parker, and I'm uh, wondering how hot is Vance Joseph's seat and if you think he makes it the rest of the season. Well, listen, the Broncos don't want to make a head coaching change in season. And I think everybody knows that if they don't win on any kind of regular, consistent basis, that Vance Joseph is going to be in trouble at the end of the year. Now, does that mean he gets let go in week 16, possibly, 17, possibly, after the season? Possibly. But give him the rest of the season to finish it out and see what he could do. And if he coaches well, he coaches well, then maybe he gets to stay on. But, look, I think everybody knows that the deck is stacked against him. It seems like Broncos fans want a change, and they're 3-6, and six, and they haven't had back-to-back losing seasons, the Broncos, in 46 years. This would be the first time in 46 years that Denver has back-to-back losing seasons. And if that happens, I would think we all would agree that Vance Joseph would not be back next season. Hey, Adam, this is Dave Solfaro. What do you think Sean McVay has put into Jared Goff's brain that's made him such an elusive quarterback in this league and made him a top-five MVP candidate? And also, who do you think is going to win this upcoming matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Rams in Mexico City? Well, that's my friend Dave. I recognize that voice. He just started a new blog called Downtime Sports, so good luck to Dave with that Downtime Sports blog. Uh Look, when it comes to the Rams, Sean McVay, I think, is the brightest, youngest, most innovative coaching mind in the game. And, you know, when he took over with Jared Goff, he didn't know what he was going to get in Jared Goff. And he's helped mold Jared Goff into a guy that, yes, is competing for MVP, although Todd Gurley is really the MVP of that team right now. And, and Jared Goff, I think, has been a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback this year. And when you are around people as smart as Sean McVay, it rubs off. And he teaches them to get rid of the ball, not hold on to it. The things that any great quarterback coach do with a young quarterback, and obviously McVay's had a huge influence. It's amazing how one hire has helped change that entire franchise. I can make the argument that Sean McVay is about as valuable as anybody in L.A. sports, including LeBron. Like, he turned around that entire franchise. They were awful. They were a terrible team. And they moved to L.A., building a new stadium, competing for a Super Bowl. They're relevant. And why is that? Because the coach has done such a great job with the quarterback and the rest of the team, and he's that good. What's going on, Adam? I love your every now and then spots on the Dan Lebitard show, so I'm going to hit you with a basketball and football-related question. What do you think about the Carolina Panthers, and what do you think they need to do to get back on track? And do you see Carmelo Anthony landing on any other NBA (laughs) team this season? Yeah, Carmelo lands somewhere. My guest today, as we record this at 440 Monday, November 12th. I'm going to guess the Philadelphia 76ers. That they find a spot with him and Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and J.J. Redick and all the guys they got there. Now, actually, I don't want him to land in Philadelphia because I got J.J. Redick on my NBA fantasy team and that would take away some of J.J.'s scoring opportunities. That would not be a good thing. So maybe if Carmelo could go somewhere else other than Philadelphia, we'd like that. But I think Philadelphia will vie for his services, whatever those are. I mean, the guy's a scorer, but 
you see his value. Look, he's bouncing around the league, Oklahoma City, Houston. He's at the tail end of a Hall of Fame career, but really not a viable frontline contributor anymore. As for the Carolina Panthers, um, that's the tougher part of the question. We could get to the NBA stuff and just rattle that off right away. But the Panthers, I, I think, I still think, despite the fact that they lost Thursday night in one-sided fashion, it's one of those weeks where short week, going to Pittsburgh, home teams have a huge advantage on Thursday nights, and the Panthers just got embarrassed. They just got beat bad. But I still think that the Panthers are a playoff team in the NFC. I still think they're capable of beating just about anybody. They still play the Saints twice more this season. We're still going to hear from the Carolina Panthers. I was going to say, the caller asked how the Panthers could get back on track. I mean, it's not like they've lost four straight. They had had one bad week on a Thursday night on the road. It happens. There are a lot of teams that go into Pittsburgh and get embarrassed. So it's not unusual. And you said Carmelo Anthony, future Hall of Famer, which brings us to our final Ask Adam question, also about the Hall of Fame. Hey, Adam. Uh, my name's also Adam. Wow. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Is Mike Vick a Hall of Famer? Because I don't think he is. Uh, listen, I think Mike Vick basically could have gone to the Hall of Fame. But in the prime of his career, he basically went away and was involved in the dogfighting scheme. And so you've got a situation there where that derailed the hopes, I think, that he would have had of going to the Hall of Fame career. He came back to his credit and made a nice second career, second act in the NFL for himself. He's gone on to broadcasting. And having had him as a guest on this podcast, I can tell you that Michael Vick paid his price to society and I think right now is better off for it. So uh, good job by Michael Vick. Excellent player. Was an electric player, but not a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, a good story. A guy that the highlights will live on for a long time. People will always remember the way Mike Vick played the game, but I don't think one of the greatest that ever played. And, of course, that's what it takes to be in the Hall of Fame. You always hear people say the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good. And similar to yourself and Adam the Caller, I don't think he makes the cut. Keep those Ask Adam questions coming throughout the season. We try and do them a couple times a month. Our number. 860-506-5779. Just make sure you leave your name and your football-related question. So there is another edition of the Adam Schefter Podcast. Special thanks to Vikings defensive end Daniil Hunter, who has keyed this team's defensive resurgence as he gets ready to go into Chicago on Sunday night to play a great game against the Chicago Bears. And thank you to our friend, our colleague, Evan Kaplan, for providing the analysis and insight that he did into Week 10 and what's ahead here in Week 11. And thank you to the listener for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll have on, amongst other guests, the former Colts offensive lineman and current ESPN analyst, Jeff Saturday. Thanks for listening, everybody.